1: Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Um, uh, just, I, I first want to start off by publicly uh, thanking uh, Dr. Akin just for um, inviting and, and having me and my family here uh, to join you in this chapel service. Um, it, is, it is truly a blessing, uh, but as great as a blessing it is just to be here, it is more of an honor to step up into this pulpit and open up God's word and to sit under his word with you this morning. And so with that being said, I'm gonna ask you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, hopefully you have a device, you can go ahead and swipe there to Ephesians chapter four. Um, I'm assuming if you don't have a Bible or device, you have God's word hidden in your heart, right? We are at the seminary. So go ahead and pull that out, however you do, to Ephesians chapter four. Um, This morning, I I wanna use my time with you and focus on something I believe that we all need to be reminded of. Um, No matter what season of life that you're in, no matter what occupation that you have, no matter where you have been, no matter where you are going, this is something that as believers, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded of. And that is how we are to walk. And I don't necessarily mean putting one foot in front of the other, but how we are to live as as followers of Jesus Christ, what does that actually look like? Because the way that we live as believers amongst one another, it should display something. And I believe that we are given exactly what that is, what we are to display in our lives right here in Ephesians. Now now the book of Ephesians is one of my favorite epistles from the Apostle Paul, mainly because it reveals very clearly who our identity is is in and that is in Jesus Christ. We can see it all throughout the beginning of this letter. We have been blessed in him. We have been chosen in him. In him we have the redemption through his blood. In him we have an inheritance. We we are made alive together with Christ and so the book of Ephesians, it gives us our, our true identity, our identity in Christ. But that is just the first half of this letter. The first half of Ephesians emphasizes the doctrinal truths of the gospel. It informs us of our position in Christ and all the blessings and the the promises that, that come with that. But the second half of this letter emphasizes what our response should be to that doctrine. It informs us of our obligations and our responsibilities of being a child of God. Now many fall into the trap of thinking that that just because someone becomes a a follower of Jesus Christ that they now have to follow certain rules and and regulations. And basically what that is is a, a legalistic mentality thinking that what we do actually determines our identity when that is just a lie straight from Satan himself. And yes, we, there are some expectations that come with our identification in Christ. The, the Lord expects us to act like a, like a new person that we have become in Christ, putting off the old and, and putting on the new. But this new life is simply a process of becoming who we truly are because of who we are identified in now. Like the, the soldiers who guard the tomb of the unknowns, The Tomb of the Unknowns is a monument dedicated to those who have served in the military, who have died and their their remains were not identified. And this, this tomb is guarded by soldiers 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There are no breaks in Guarding this tomb, not even during bad weather. Even if a hurricane comes, they they are still guarding this tomb. Even when the country, maybe we're under terrorist attack, they are still guarding this tomb. It, It is never left. It is continually guarded. Now, in order to be a soldier who actually guards this monument, you have to be identified as one of those soldiers. You cannot just be some random soldier in the armed forces the way that these soldiers are identified is by receiving the tomb of the unknown soldier guard identification badge and the way that these soldiers receive this badge is through meeting the standards that the military expects of someone who's going to guard this tomb let me let me read to you some of these expectations They're required to memorize 17 pages of information about the Arlington National Cemetery and the tomb of the unknown soldier. They have to know the location of 300 graves and who is buried in each one of them. They must prepare their uniform for six hours for the next day's work. They have to cut their hair the day before going to work. So the day before they're going to stand guard at this tomb, they have to go get a haircut. There are certain field tests and physical training that they must pass. These are all things that are required and expected of them because of their identification. And they don't do all of these things because they are forced to do them. They do them willingly. They willingly conform to the standards that are set before them because of the love and the honor that they have for their country. And so when it comes to us as believers, it's not I have to do this, this, and this because I have made that decision to follow Christ and said it's a willingness. It's a willingness to live a certain way because of the love that we have for Christ as those who are identified in Christ. And so our text today is gonna address how we are to live because of our identity. And so look with me here in chapter four, beginning in verse one, as Paul gives an appeal to the believers to live in a certain way. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What Paul does here is at the very beginning, he, 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 he addresses something that is very, very important. He is reminding these believers of something that is very, very important, and that was he was in prison. He was in prison for Preaching the gospel. And, and he doesn't identify himself as being a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't even identify himself as being a prisoner of the Lord. He says a prisoner for the Lord. See, see, there's a big, big difference there a prisoner of the Lord or a prisoner for the Lord. See, after Paul's encounter with Christ, he looked at everything through a different lens. It was no longer, if I did this, how would it affect me? Or would it be in my best interest if I said this, or if I went there, or if I went there? No, it was no longer, how is this going to affect Paul? It is now, how is this going to affect Christ? Is what I'm doing in the best interest of Christ in his kingdom? Everything he said, everything he did, everything he preached, everywhere he went, it was all for Christ. He was captive. He was a prisoner for the Lord. He was in every sense of the word a slave for Christ. Because he knew that he had been bought with a price and therefore he belonged to Christ. That is the lens in which he viewed his life. So let us ask ourselves the question, how do we see ourselves as followers of Christ? Is that the lens in which we view our own lives? Or are we so self-oriented to where we see everything in relation to ourselves? After all, we do live in the me generation, don't we? How will this affect me? What will this do for me? How will this benefit me? How will this make me look? But let me tell you, when the word of God saturates your life and the more and the more you get of Christ, that lens in which you view your life transforms. And it's no longer how will the things that I do affect me, rather, it is how will they affect Christ and his kingdom, because it's no longer about self, it's all about Christ. This should be the perspective of every believer. So, Paul, a a prisoner for the Lord, he is urging, he is pleading with these believers to do something. He is begging them to respond to the gospel. As I'm sure you know, Paul was not just an apostle, he was a pastor, he was an evangelist. He pastored certain churches when he was present with them, and then he, when he left on his journeys and, and being an evangelist, he would write to those churches to remind them, to instruct them, to to encourage them to correct them the relationship that he had with them didn't stop once he left it still continued and so the things that Paul is giving them are are not suggestions they're divine truths he is pleading with believers to live according to them because he was still their pastor he was still their shepherd even if he wasn't physically present because they were under the umbrella of his spiritual care. So a a pastor that does not urge you, does not plead with you to respond to the gospel and live in a certain way isn't worthy of that calling. And the reason why I tell you this is because it should not only be a pastor's loving concern, but it should be every believer's loving concern to plead and urge others to respond in obedience to the gospel. Not just a response, but a response should be the obedience to the gospel. Paul urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called in other words the way that we live the way that we walk the way that we talk the way that we treat others the truths that we stand for they should match up with the high position of us being a child of god so the way that we walk the way that we live should mirror our spiritual position And I don't know if you caught this or not, but right there in verse 1, it reemphasizes that if you are a believer, you have been called by somebody. It is a saving call by a sovereign God. This just underlines the truths found in Ephesians 1, right? He chose us in him before the foundations of the world, right? He chose us. He calls us. G.K. Beale says it this way, we sometimes think that we have grabbed a hold of God and found him, but it is really the other way around. He has grabbed a hold of us because if he did not call us to himself, nobody would want to come to him. It's because of our sinful nature has created this animosity, this enmity with God. If you've been around long enough, you know pride comes before the fall. Pride is the, the foundation for every other sin. And, and in fact, I, I, I want to do something this morning. I, I have a confession that I want to make to you. And here's what I want to do. After I make this confession to you, I'm going to count to three. Okay, and then after I count to three, if you want to make that same confession after I count to three, I want you to respond out loud with a me too. Okay, This, this ought to be fun, right? So I'm gonna confess, I'm gonna count to three, and if you're in agreement, you wanna confess the same thing, you say me too. You ready? Here we go. I wanna confess to you that I I'm selfish. One, two, three. I'm glad I'm not the only one because that could have been really, really awkward here for me. The majority of us know that we are prideful and selfish. And here's the thing. Those of you who didn't respond and confess with the rest of us, this is what I know about you. You're selfish. How do I know you're selfish? Because you didn't share that with us. You kept it to yourself, right? Just proved my point. The fact is, we will all battle with pride until the Lord takes us to be with him. But what pride is, is is the sin of competing with God, and the opposite of that is humility, which is submitting to God. And our only source of humility is a proper view of God. This is why sound doctrine and theology are so important, because it gives us the proper view of God. Because when you have the proper view of God, you have the proper view of Christ. And when you have the the proper view of Christ and his righteous standards, you have the proper view of yourself and you clearly see how far you fall short. When you see God for who he really is, you look different to you. Many of us make the mistake of not having that view. Instead, we wanna compare ourselves to everyone else around us. Let, let Let me give you an example. Me and my family, we just moved here to North Carolina, and and we are ecstatic because we are in the college basketball capital of the United States of America. And we are a basketball family. That's just what we do. Any spare time, we are playing basketball. Me and my three kids, my wife just watches. And we will play every single day if we are able to. My youngest, quad, seven years old. Kid likes the ball. And so me and him, every day, one on one, all day long. Now, now here's the thing. I'm bigger than him. I'm faster than him. I'm stronger than him. I shoot better than him. I jump higher than him. I'm smarter than him on a good day. Right? And so when we play, I will steal the ball from him. I will blow by him. I will block every one of his shots. I will dunk all over him. Okay, I will dominate him because I am awesome at basketball compared to a seven-year-old little boy. But if LeBron James came walking up our driveway and said, check ball, guess who just turned into a seven-year-old little boy? All it took was for King James to show up, and now every flaw and every weakness in my game has been exposed. All it takes is to get the proper view of the true king, and suddenly we are exposed for who we really are. Because there is no comparison. And the only way to kill pride in our lives so that we walk in this way is to decrease in ourselves. The more we get ourselves out of the way and don't make it about ourselves, the more we will gain of him. So if we want to live our lives in in a way that is worthy of our calling, if the first starts with humility, that should be the foundational characteristic in our walk. The next one that is tied to that is gentleness, which which is evidence of one's humility. Gentleness is produced by humility, which is an outward action of an inward attitude. This is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Some translations use meekness here. It means power under control. Not under your control, but under the control of God. Don't, Don't get that mixed up. It is where you you submit your life over to him, and then he is the one who controls your life, and there is power in that control because he is the one controlling it. Now, when we talk about gentleness, this is not a weakness like many people think. You try to be gentle. You, You try to be meek for a week, and you will soon realize that it takes strength. A great way to describe the gentleness that Paul is speaking of here is to to refer to ancient times. In ancient times, in order for soldiers to go into battle, their horses had to be trained to protect them when they went into battle. These horses were known as war horses. All right, so, so these, these war horses, they're described as being gentle, They're described as being meek because as powerful as they are, the, the power and their strength was under the total control of their rider. And this is one of the characteristics that Paul is urging us to walk in, a strength that stands under God's control. The third attitude that Paul speaks of that characterizes a worthy walk is patience. Humility and gentleness give birth to patience. To be patient means to endure negative in circumstances and to never get into them. Anybody face any negative circumstances here? Right? I think if you have a pulse, you have. Right? We, we all have. Now, this patience that Paul is speaking of is not the patience that many of us are, are thinking of. This isn't the patience that we think of when we wait in line at the drive-thru drive through for our fast food. That's not the patience he's speaking of. This isn't the the patience we think of when when dealing with a child that that won't behave. No, this patience is believing that God's timetable is good, no matter what it it is. It is waiting for God to act when, where, and how he chooses. So for us to have this kind of patience, we must accept God's plan for everything. Without complaining about it, without grumbling about it, without questioning it, we need to have this kind of patience because this is what I have learned over the years. If God were to show you all of his plan for you at once, you would want to run and hide. Or if he were to give it to you on your own timetable, you wouldn't be able to handle it. You wouldn't be able to. It would be way too much. We must walk in patience knowing that his plan and his timing is perfect. So it starts with humility, which leads to gentleness, which leads to patience, which then leads to the fourth characteristics. Look at it with me at the end of verse two. It says, bearing with one another in love. To love in this way is to be willing to put up with someone or something and still continue to love them. Do you know or have you ever experienced a love like that? When I think about that, I think about my wife. Like she puts up with my nonsense and she continues to love me. Right? This is, this is agape love. Loving unconditionally and continuously. A, a love that, that is unselfish. A love that, that gives, whether it receives or not. This is how we are to love one another. Now the whole reason why Paul has just listed these four characteristics before he gets to this last one is because this last one is the primary result of the first four. Look in in verse three. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So the primary result of humility and gentleness and patience and love is the unity of the Spirit working in the lives of believers. And this unity is on the inside, not the outside. This is is spiritual unity. And the spiritual unity is not created by us, but by the Holy Spirit. So our responsibility as believers is to preserve it is to maintain that unity by faithfully walking in a manner worthy of his calling and when we do that what we are doing is demonstrating christ to the rest of the world because of our oneness in him this is so so important because the rest of the world is constantly trying to find unity and peace. And here's the thing, it will never be accomplished apart from Christ. No program, no agreement, no no, no strategy, it doesn't matter how many summits you have with world leaders, there will never be unity and peace apart from Christ. Why, Why do you think that it seems as if this country is is falling apart. Everyone seems to be at each other's throats. Everyone is fighting against someone else. That is because the further and further that this country gets away from God, the further and further it gets away from unity and peace. But when we, as believers, walk in a manner worthy of his calling, When we are genuinely humble, exemplifying gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, all while not compromising the word of God, not compromising the truth, it demonstrates peaceful unity in the Holy Spirit, and it puts the gospel on full display to the rest of the world. We actually demonstrate what peace and unity look like to the rest of the world by the way that we live. This kind of unity is the most powerful testimony that we can have. It is the gospel on display. And Paul knew that. Because he actually emphasizes it with the next three verses. Let let me me just read the next three verses. Verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There are seven ones there that Paul uses and they are all elements of spiritual unity And he doesn't flesh each one of those out here because that's not his purpose. He is trying to emphasize unity, oneness here, and how significant it really is. He is is stating that these are features of our oneness. This is what we are to be one in. And the only way that there will be this oneness, this unity and peace that shows off Christ to the rest of the world, is by the way that we walk. So as we close, let me me ask you, how are you walking? How are you living your everyday life? Are you walking in a manner worthy of your calling? Let me remind you, you have been called to walk in humility. You have been called to walk in gentleness. You have been called to walk with patience. You have been called to walk in love because that is what produces this unity that will be magnified to others. just as the Apostle Paul did to these believers in Ephesus, I want to urge you, I want to beg you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And I know that the majority of us, that is is what we desire, that is what we want to do, so let me just let you in on a little secret as to where it actually starts. Be a prisoner for the Lord. That's where it starts. I mean, this this takes you back to verse 1. Paul described, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. That's where it starts. Being a slave, being a bondservant, being a, a doulos of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. When there's complete surrender, you watch how God will start to straighten out your walk. He will straighten out your walk, and he will use you to magnify the gospel to the rest of the world as you go. As you go and not only proclaim, not only share, but live out the greatest message that mankind can ever receive. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, what an honor, what a privilege, what a blessing it is to sit under your word this morning. I just thank you so much for for helping us in this. As as your children, as as believers of Jesus Christ, we understand the message that we are to proclaim, but you also guide us in this, the message that we live out. And we know that there are certain steps that, that we need to take in our own lives, but ultimately is the strength of the Holy Spirit that's going to provide that unity. And so I I just pray in our own lives, we would examine our own lives to see, hey, where where do we need to get back on course to where we are a a prisoner for the Lord? Completely sold out, completely surrendered in in every area of our life. It's, It's not about us. It is all about you. And we know that the message that you have given us is is powerful. But the message that you have given us to live out should mirror that. We just thank you for the opportunity to be used in that way. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.